So I'm going to try and align your personal goals with my unit responsibilities. If I can align both of those, well, now both needs are being met and we've got this functional unit because you know what needs to happen for the organization and why it's important that you're involved in that. So if I can teach someone from, you know, hey, you're going to do this with two people as a team leader, then you're going to do this with eight people or seven people as a squad leader, then you're going to do this with 30 people as a platoon sergeant or 120 people as a first sergeant. So if I can teach people how to be leaders at every level, then moving into that next level of leadership is just an expansion of what they already know. Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. All right, so you are really going to enjoy this episode. I just got off uh, talking for the last 40 minutes with Josh Johnson, who is the Director of Programs for the Special Operators Transition Foundation. I just learned about them recently. Um, One of their graduates of their program is a COO Alliance member. And their entire program, um, they put about 250 people through their program every year, are former senior operations people in the military that they are taking out of the military after their military career is ending. And these are young young people, typically 45 to 50 year olds. Um, And then they're transitioning them, helping them transition from the military into the private sector at COO level roles. So super interesting program. Um, I was just blown away with the, the actual strengths of military leaders. I had no idea. I had no idea about the real true operational strengths of these, um, these leaders. Josh talks about digging into why things are happening, getting into some of the character attributes that make the best um, operations leaders, talking about trusting employees and then backing off. Again, if you're looking for a second in command or even any senior operations people in your company, I really think you have to reach out to this group and talk to them. Um, Talks about how to validate the CEO's vision down at the lowest levels of the organization. And that was super interesting. You'll love that section. And then talking about the professional development and growth of people. Again, I had no idea that in the military, they worked to this level of growing the strengths of operations people. And then I even loved a lot of his comments about on-the-spot feedback. You are going to love this episode. We'll see you on the inside. Make sure that you share this one and uh, listen to a bunch of our others as well. So, Josh, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. Thanks, Cameron. Thanks for having me on. This is exciting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, learning from you today and to learning a lot about the organization that you're building. One of our COO Alliance members came out of the Special Operators Transition Forum that you run. And why don't you tell us very briefly what the SOTF is, and then let's go back into your journey of how you got here. Okay. So the, the Special Operations Transition Foundation was designed to take known quantity, right, known quality, uh, people that have been assessed and selected to have the character attributes that we know are necessary to be successful in special operations. And as they're finishing their time in uniform, taking those same character attributes and sharing them with you know, the civilian world and, and corporations that are that we know are in need of, of that, right? The, the big conversation is, you know, hire for character, train for skill. And if we've got a collection of people with known character that have done, you know, realistic 
problem solving and, and operations in very austere environments, you know, with constrained times and limited resources. People that that have been amazing problem solvers that we can then shift from doing it in uniform and help them make that transition to doing it, uh, you know, for corporations. We see that as a big win, and we've we've been very successful over the lifetime of the of the program. Uh, we've been able to place about four hundred sixty ish folks. Last year alone, we placed one hundred twenty two, and we're growing. Last month, we were able to place twelve uh, different individuals. So we're that our our numbers are are growing pretty heavily, and it's it's pretty exciting to see the process happen and, and the. You know the the recognition of 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 what our special operations veterans can bring. Well, and from what I know about the program, I mean, I've heard that adage before: hire for attitude, train for skill, or hire for character, train for skill. But what you actually have is both. You've got the character, the strong core value character backing that the military gives them, but then also the skills of being an operator. And and then really, the only skill you're left with is just you know understanding the, maybe the industry, but that's that's easy at that point. It's it, it 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 kind of easy. I, I remember when I first uh, my first role outside of the military uh, was with a, a home improvement company, and I thought, I mean, how how hard can this can this be? It's showers, bath doors, and windows, uh, and I was blown away at the at the language differences between you know my my thirty plus years in the military and and what this company does. And look, they're a great organization and had some really amazing bosses that that took the time to say. Okay, this is how we say this, and this is what this term means, and and it, it was always interesting. You know, the example I like to use is somebody said, "Hey, have you ever filled out a Gantt chart?" And I'm like, "I don't even know what that is." Never kind of looked at me crazy, and they explained it. I went, "Oh, an operation sync matrix." Yeah, filled those out a thousand times. Whoa, interesting. Just, so there's just these, these like language differences that happen from within the military and and outside of the military. Who has more acronyms? Does the military or the private sector use more acronyms? It's military by far. It's <laughs> great. Military by far. Every everything is an acronym, and so it's kind of funny. You know, you'll be in in an organization for a number of years, and then you'll do a, a what we call a, an outside assignment or a grooming assignment, and you'll come back, and acronyms will have changed, and so it's it's almost learning a new language every time you come into the unit, even if it's the same unit you've been to. So that's great. Live and die by TLAs, three letter acronyms. Yeah, that's what we used to call them as well. Well, I used to be in the house painting industry, and we actually had a three-letter acronym for a rag, like to to wipe off paint. They called it an EPR. It was your ever-present rag because you always had to have. I'm like, that's ridiculous. So we have a three-letter acronym for a three-letter word. Tell me about how does the model work of this Special Operators Transition Foundation? How does it work? How do you guys make your money? How do clients use you? That side of it. Okay, we're a five hundred one c three. Uh, so we're we're a nonprofit entity whose sole desire is to is to take and to assist the special operators as they make arguably the toughest thing that they've ever done in the military leave it right you know you've got guys that have been on you know dozens of deployments and have gone on you know, multiple targets and have done all these things but it's all something that they've trained for and getting ready to leave the military and, and start a whole new life is just not something that that is heavily invested in it's getting better. The military has, has seen that requirement and it's starting to get better, but it, it's nowhere near where, where it needs to be. So ideally, we, we grab someone right about 12 months before their transition and bring them into the program. And we run them through three phases. Phase one is all about assessment, figuring out 
who they are and what value proposition they can bring to an organization. Uh, we've contracted with a couple of really good executive coaches, uh, Melba Holiday and, and uh, the Atlantic Leadership Group, and then Abigail Manning and, and the Abigail Manning organization. And we run our folks through about eight weeks uh, of executive coaching that really helps them kind of clarify and define who they are and what they bring. We do some psychometric testing with with um, Fascinate and DISC, and do, we do a really deep analysis. And you know, we explain the fact that many corporations are using psychometric testing to to make sure that they're hiring people for the right role, right? You don't take an introvert and put them in a sales. You don't take a, you know somebody who's very extroverted and put them in front of a spreadsheet. Neither one of those are are, are going to work. And so we do some analysis and help people understand where where their strengths and weaknesses are and, and how they're going to be able to use those. So we start branding uh, the individual through this. And when they leave phase one, they've got a uh, a personal uh, anthem. They've got a value proposition statement. And we've had them define four or five different stories from their career that validate what that value proposition statement is. We then move them into the execution phase, or pardon me, the uh, exploration phase. And there's two parts to this. Part one is continuing on that branding. So now we work with them to write, to write a really good base document resume. And then we teach them how to shift that resume to specific industries or specific roles that, that they're looking at. We go in depth on, on training people how to do networking. It's not just meeting people, but it's engaging and creating conversations and building relationships that you can then leverage uh, in order to open up their professional network and eventually find that role that's going to be best suited for you. Uh, we do interview preparation training and we teach them how to uh, how to go in and evaluate industries that that might be of interest to them uh, and how to evaluate uh, corporations that that they're targeting so that they're going into this with you know some knowledge that that they you know when you're in the military, you really you know what your next job's going to be. You may not know exactly where it's going to be, but it's going to be doing the exact same thing. So as our folks are leaving leaving the military, it's wide open. Wow. And we're really helping them define kind of three things, right? Number one, where do you want to live? Which is something they really have not had a choice. Number two, functionally, what it is that they want to do. And then three, the, the industry that they want to do that in. And those things all go hand in hand. And I tell people this all the time. Look, if you want to be a rocket scientist and live in Montana, that's not going to work, right? You need to go to Huntsville, Alabama. You need to go to Florida, Cape Canaveral, or you need to go to the, you know, the JPL out in California. So understanding how all three of those tie in helps somebody make that decision. And oftentimes we'll get folks that are like, hey, look, I'm wide open. I've moved my whole career. I'm not tied to any one, one place. So I'll go wherever that needs to be. Okay, that's great. We can work with that. You've got other folks that have been like, hey, I spent 30 years in the military. I finally got my, my forever home. My kids are in, in school and, and you know, I've got a community. I'm staying in this town. Okay, now we need to start looking functionally what you want to do and industries that are in the area that you can do that in. So we really, we really work with them to to kind of define what that means. And the other half to the exploration phase is getting in front of people that are doing the things that they have interest in. So we've got a a, a large alumni uh, population plus a ton of business partners where somebody comes in and says, "Hey, look, I'm interested in in, in project management." Okay, great. I've got, you know, a dozen project managers on the phone right now that I'm going to introduce you to 
you can start having conversations. So now we're we've got folks that are saying, okay, project management in in the you know commercial construction looks like this. Project management in manufacturing looks like this. You know, and, and so they've got this that you know a group of people that can go out and say, look, I know what project management looks like in the military because I've done this for the last couple of decades. But what does it look like, you know, for what you do? And that you know, it's through these conversations and opening our professional network for them to start building their own professional network is is how most of our our people end up getting placed. Unbelievable model. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. So finally, phase three is our execution phase. And when our fellows are about 120 days out from their available hire date, we shift into execution. So now they really have defined, hey, I'm interested in, in living in this place. Functionally, I this is what I want to do. Uh, and these are probably two or three industries that I'm really targeting. So now we start, we dig into our business partners who we know are looking for, for folks in that or we help them, you know, develop some of those networks that they have created or some of those contacts that they've created. And we shift into actual, you know, employment interviews. And then once there's, you know, once our, our fellows are successful in, in uh, securing a role, and really that's what we promise, right? We promise you that we are going to make you very prepared in order to secure a role. We're not a placement agency. We don't guarantee work. Uh, we don't guarantee a, a role. But we do a pretty good job of making sure that our folks get there. 94, 95% uh, right around there of, of all of our fellows end up getting getting placement. So once they've secured a role, we then work with them on a couple of different things. Number one, we're going to help them, you know, negotiate that uh, employee contract, make sure the wage is fair, make sure they understand it. Because there's a lot of things that, you know, ghost equity and, and uh, you know, understanding how, you know, being given stock options and, and things that just we did not have in the military that that our guys may not our guys and gals may not necessarily uh, understand. So we help them through that through that process. And then we shift into what we call an overwatch phase. Uh, and we start that by by giving them a hey, here's your best practices for success for the first 90 days in in the organization. You know, here are the top five priorities that you need to focus on as you're gaining traction in the new role that you're in, you know, figure out what the strategic intent of the organization is, figure out what uh, the intent of your boss is, define who your team is and define who the, you know, those key personalities or, or key roles that you're going to have to work with frequently. Understand, you know, what we call the customer's journey, how the organization markets and sells and onboards and, you know, manufactures and delivers and, and, and whatever, uh, you know, customer services on the backside. And then figure out where you fit in there so that you can have, you know, a clear standing of, of who is feeding you or your part and then who you're going to feed within that customer's journey. So when they, when our fellows, you know, can define that in, in that, you know, first 30 to 60 days, well, now they can start looking at, okay, clarifying the intent and understanding not necessarily uh, just what we do, but why we do that. You know, because understanding the why, you know, everyone knows this. If you understand the why, then you've got buy-in. If you've got buy-in, uh, you can then start looking for improvements. Uh, so we really, you know, push people to understand the 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 why things are happening, uh, and look for some of those early wins. You know, we're not, we're not asking someone to make a grand slam in the first thirty days. We're saying, hey, what are those things that you can do to get recognized in the right way 
so that that you're you're contributing to the organization and growing your your reputation and growing uh you know your you know validating that that value proposition statement that that you said you know and just making sure that, that that they're set up for success for the long for the long term you know, once they've got traction and they're they understand um you know what their role is well, then we're going to reach back out to them and say, "Hey, we're super happy for you. We're, we're excited that that you're one of our success stories. Are you willing to now be a mentor to somebody else coming through the organization?" And this is where our our alumni are so important to the organization. Uh, and I've I've yet to have someone go, "No, I'm too busy for that." Everyone's like, "Absolutely. What can I do? Have somebody call me. I'm going to walk them through." And there's a couple of really good benefits from this, right? We talked earlier about that language. Well. Now I've got somebody that speaks the language of our fellow and the language of the organization that they're working, and they can help make that translation. The other half to this is we've got fellows that are in an organization. Why would they not want to be surrounded by the people that they worked with for you know a couple of decades in the military? So they're hearing about a role and they're reaching out constantly saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm over at this organization. We're looking for you know a couple of project managers. Here's the role description. So now our alumni are becoming that force of gravity pulling a fellow through the program. It's 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 a, a great model. Uh, it's filled with, with absolute professionals within the organization. Uh, well, how do you guys how do you guys make your money? Who's paying for all this? So all donor dollars. We've got a director of development, uh, Bobby Payne, Robert Payne, and his sole job is to go out and find you know. Patriotic Americans that recognize the sacrifice that our fellows gave to be in the service uh, and and collect donations off of that. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's uh, I I don't envy Bobby and 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 what he does, but he does it really really well. And and um, we we've got some amazing you know kind of legacy donors that 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 work well. Our board of directors uh, each have a responsibility to to. To make sure that there's they're bringing in some some funds as well, uh, we we get engaged in. I mean, just last week we went down to uh, to Fort Lauderdale where we participated in two different uh, donor drives. Uh, both of them at uh, it was the South Florida um, Charity Classic, so it was a big golf tournament. It was a rough day at the office where they had to go you know golf out of Florida, but uh, uh, you know it's just it's getting out there talking to people that that you know don't necessarily know what's happening briefing them up just like I, I did with you and explaining what it is and why we're doing it um and then asking them if if they're willing to do it so it cost us it's about six thousand dollars uh to run a fellow through the program and you you keep saying fellow is it only men no a fellow a fellow represents anyone that that's that's within within special okay so it's it. yeah, okay. the fellowship to Sodaf, and so we refer to them as fellows. I, I, you know, I my time in special operations uh, within Army Special Forces as, as Green Beret, we didn't have females uh, as operators, and so I tend to go the gents or the boys or the or the, you know the guys. Uh, but I do I or I've taught myself to go and ladies because it's it's far more prevalent. And in some of the other units, um, you know, some of our one sixtieth pilots. Uh, we, we've got females coming to that. We've got. Um, yeah, I think it would become something that's going to become more emerging than current, right? Like it's going to be something. It's, it's it's super fascinating that you're able to fund this completely off donations. So what's your annual budget? That is a good question. Um, 
I intentionally try to stay away from the from the money side of it because uh, ballpark. Yeah, I I want to say we're at one point four, one point five million in order to to manage the whole process. That may be a little high. It seems so small. It doesn't seem like enough money to make this all work. It's like your program is really strong. Yeah. So you figure on average, well, we've grown it. So currently we've got 225 current fellows uh, within the organization, you know, $6,000 a piece for that. And we're trying to grow that, trying to grow our, 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 our capacity to be able to, to manage about 300 uh, at any given time. As the military is drawing down from some of the operations, uh, we're seeing an, an increased number of, of folks, you know, doing their time and, and then coming out or retiring and coming out. So uh, our capacity has had to increase to to meet that, um, and so we're we're finding ways to to uh, to increase that you know that that cash requirements as well. And again, uh, I, I don't envy Bobby and and what he does, but he does a great job at it. Super interesting. Yeah, it, it almost seems irresponsible for companies not to attempt to hire some of these people. Like it just seems like it's a, a hidden gem, like a diamond in the rough that when you find out about it, you're like, well, this is like built in incredible talent, solid core values, solar systems, like they know their shit. I would sense the loyalty is quite strong for them with companies as well. They're not job hopping, are they? No, no. Typically, they'll get in and, and hold on to a job for three to five years until they, um, you know, if an organization has upward growth potential, you'll see folks that 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 will stay in that organization. It's when organizations kind of cap out and there and there's no way to move forward, um, that's when we'll see our our fellows, uh, you know, take that next step and 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 move into the move into another role. Um, the good news about it is. You know they're conditioned to make sure that they that they are grooming their replacement because it's just something that's been ingrained uh, in us the entire time. You know, in the military, the longest you're going to be uh, out of the organization is three years, uh, and so you know, and you'll you probably do two jobs, two separate jobs within that three years, and so you're going to spend your first third, you know, perfecting the role, and then you're going to spend the next two thirds of your time grooming uh your replacement because it's a known thing it's just going to happen you are moving out so you know employee engagement and employee development is really strong in our fellows they understand that and they understand the need you know it's always it's always been build your replacement so that you can you can move into that next role and that's that i'm a i'm a big fan of that uh attribute with our with all of our fellows when they move into an organization they get that Hey, it's not about just me. It's about the team. Uh, and not only is it about the team, it's about developing the team to be able to take the next role, right? If I'm always trying to develop somebody for that growth potential, then we've always got somebody to to assume that. Makes sense. I, I've got one more question just around the whole Special Operators Transition Foundation, and then I want to go into some of your background and experience as well, because to, to draw on what you've learned in the military and kind of that second command type role. How does a company connect with with you guys to start hiring some of these people or, or what do they do do they go through a search firm do they work with you directly do they so we've got a we've got a couple of avenues we do that number one we've got the website sodif.org or pardon me yeah yeah sodif.org uh and there's a link in there to be a business partner a link in there to be a donor and then a link in there for uh fellows to apply for the program so if anybody has a strong interest in in getting engaged uh, with 
the Special Operations Transition, Transition Foundation. You know, my LinkedIn's up. You can automatically call me, and we'll get you. We'll get you. Uh, we'll start having those conversations. But go to the website. Say, hey, this is the company that I own or the company that I work for. We're we absolutely are looking for, you know, the premier veteran talent that's coming out of the organization. How do we get involved? Uh, and we'll we'll immediately get back in touch with them. That's super cool. We've got a strong uh, network of of uh, of uh, business partners, but we're always looking to to increase that because we have fellows that have, you know, that they come in and they some of them know specifically what they the, what they want to do in the industries they want to work that in. And yeah, so we're always trying to find oper- opportunities for them. I want to. I'm going to talk to you guys offline about um, becoming a corporate partner because I think once once we've got these people out in place, we should actually get them into the COO Alliance as a member, so that then they have a network of other COOs, other peers that are also not all from the military as well, right? So then they're really starting to cross pollinate, and their peer group is people in that second command role, but you know, 70% of them with no military experience and they kind of ideas having sex, right? You cross pollinate from different industries. Hey, it's Cameron. Did you hear? That's right. I wrote another book, but this book isn't just another book for me. It's actually for you, the visionary CEO that is looking to grow and scale their business. This book is called The Second in Command, Unleash the Power of Your COO. As a founder and CEO, you're used to making all the decisions, but the business you have isn't the one you envision. Heck, we've all been there. And the thing is, you know what you need. You need a COO, someone who can help you build the company you don't know how to build on your own. The second in command is your go-to guidebook when you're ready to scale up. I go through all the details in every aspect of the process, from knowing when you need to hire a COO, through identifying and hiring the right candidate, and successfully onboarding and working with them and so much more. Go to CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to get your copy today. The second command reveals the benefits COOs bring to companies and explores the many ways a COO mastermind or a COO forum can help grow the COO skills. You'll meet the types of COOs and understand the role each type plays. Discover how to bring on a COO into your company with the least disruption and avoid common problems before they arrive. Once again, it's CameronHerald.com forward slash new book to grab your copy today. There's no need to go it alone. We're in this together. Now back to the show. Okay, let's go back go back in time. Walk through kind of your experience. What got you to here and, and what were the, the kind of leadership skills or leadership roles that you were playing? So I grew up, you know, I'm, I'm enlisted, right? Uh, which is how I ended up becoming that senior enlisted advisor. And in the military, it's a steady growth. You know the next position you're going to get into, right? First time you become a non-commissioned officer, um, uh, you become a team leader. So you've got a small team, two to three people. Uh, you spend three, uh, two or three years kind of mastering that that level of supervision. And then it's constant growth. You move into a squad leader, there are two to three teams underneath you. You move into a platoon sergeant, three or four squads underneath you, first sergeant. So now you're you're the the... the HR and operations and, and compliance and standards. And then eventually you move into uh, into that senior enlisted advisor, the sergeant major role, um, where you've got, you know, some, some pretty big responsibilities. We talked about them earlier, which are, you know, you are the advocate for the commander. You're, as, let me rephrase that, you are the voice of the commander, making sure that their 
uh, intent and vision is understood and complied with through the organization. So as a senior enlisted advisor, you're constantly working down and in, which allows that commander to work up and out, right? So a commander will come in and say, you know, here's here's what I plan to do in the next 12 months, or here's what we're doing with this operation. Uh, the operations uh, officer, the S3, the, the, the S3 officer will take it and begin the, you know, the, the nuts and bolts to it. Uh, the executive officer is always managing the budget and, and whatnot. But that sergeant major is making sure that that vision and mission is understood at every level and being uh, being that person that can go down and say, all right, you tell me what the commander means, right? Okay, that's not it at all. Let me let me let me get you up to speed so that you understand it, so that you've got total buy-in. And it's it's important that 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 role is does that because it's the continuity of thought and continuity of understanding uh, throughout the entire organization. The other half to this is the senior enlisted advisor has to be the one that can go to the commander and say, hey, your capabilities, you know, the capability of your organization can or cannot meet what your vision is. If we can't meet it, here's the training process in order to get there. Or if we can meet it, hey, sir or ma'am, you're not stretching us far enough. Let's in, let's increase this operation. So it's the it's the voice uh, for the workforce. Uh, and that sounding board for that commander or that that CEO uh, to make decisions and have somebody that can go, hey, look, great idea, or that's an ugly baby. We can't we can't do that one. So, uh, you know, it, the other half to that is the senior enlisted advisor, the, the sergeant major, is responsible for the professional growth and development for uh, you know for the enlisted leaders, and that you know so. Formally, they they manage the enlisted side, but informally, that sergeant major also has a responsibility to work with those junior officers uh, and train and educate them on how to work with their enlisted and how to work within the organization. Oftentimes, the sergeant major is you know is the it's the he's the continuity. He or she is the, the continuity of the organization because they've been there a lot longer. Typically, an officer will come in; they'll do two two or three years as a lieutenant. And then they'll go out to a broadening assignment. And then they'll come back as a as a captain, uh, and they'll spend two or three years. And then they'll go out to a broadening assignment. And then they'll come back uh, as a staff officer, uh, and you know potentially a, a you know a battalion level commander. Uh, and then again they go back out where those enlisted typically stay within that organization or or like organizations. Uh, they don't do as many broadening assignments uh, as the officers as as officers will will do and so that being said they they're they're the keeper of all that knowledge and, and the understanding of, of those capabilities and you know continuity of information i never would have guessed that you're focusing in the military and in, in that role on professional growth and development of people but no, number one responsibility outside of outside of advising the commander is the professional growth and development uh, of the force it's incredible it's stuff that we just don't like in the private sector. We just don't have any exposure to this, right? Like we don't know. All we see is what we see in the movies, and we think you guys, you know, run around on tracks carrying your fucking backpacks, singing songs. Like we don't know what you're getting right. Tra- we don't know. Nobody's telling us. This is interesting. Yeah. I also really love. So, so what kind of professional growth? Like, what? Give us a few core areas that you're working with people on. 
Uh, so number one, really understanding employee engagement. You know, we we just call it you know you know development. But hey, you've got a brand new soldier. How are you going to assimilate them into the unit? How are you going to assimilate them into their into the culture? And you've got broad military culture, which you know basic training does that. But then you've got specific you know microcultures within the organization. So you know everyone goes through basic training and they understand how to be in the army. But suddenly you're in a in a special operation unit that works in Asia. Well, that's going to be way different than a special operation unit that works in Europe or Central or South America. There's going to be similarities and there's going to be crossovers, but understanding culturally how it's completely different. We used to have this conversation all, all the time. Fifth Special Forces Group primarily operates in, in uh, the, the Middle East, and they've got a very unique way in which they, they do operations. First Special Forces Group, the one that I came out of, their typical area of operations is is Asia. And so being able to take understanding, okay, you know, the cultural differences of working with Koreans and people from Taiwan and Philippines and Thailand and Bangladesh and India and being able to go, okay, all of those different cultures I've got to be able to understand and work within. And then I can take that cultural understanding and apply it to, you know, the, the mission set in uh, the Middle East. Whereas fifth group is, hey, look, we, you know, we have to understand Sunnis and we have to understand Shiites and we have to understand, you know, you know, these minor differences between, you know, religious based uh, and, and some cultural in, in between the, the the countries, but it's just not as, as as broad. Right. Whereas, you know, you work with 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 Koreans and then you go work with people from the Philippines. It, it's two entirely different worlds and just being able to, to kind of shift that mindset. So. That being said, when we're developing soldiers for whatever unit that we're in, there's a lot of cultural assimil assimilation that has to happen. So, you know, that's a big part of it. But it's teaching people, hey, you know, how do you effectively counsel, uh, you know, do employee engagement? We call it counseling within the military, right? Are, are you just talking about things that they've screwed up, you know, 30 days ago? No value, right? You should have addressed that on the spot. Are you going to talk about, hey, here's, you know, what is it that you want to do in the military? All right, here are the roles that we need to get get you into to make sure that you can do that that growth. So I'm going to try and align your personal goals with my unit responsibilities. If I can align both of those, well, now both needs are being met uh, and we've got this functional unit because you know what needs to happen for the organization and why it's important that you're involved in that. So if I can teach someone from, you know, hey, you're going to do this with two people as a team leader, then you're going to do this with eight people or seven people as a squad leader, then you're going to do this with 30 people as a, as a platoon sergeant or 120 people as a first sergeant. So if I can teach people how to be leaders at every level, then moving into that next level of leadership is just an expansion of what they already know. Incredible. I, I launched a program um, two years ago called Invest in Your Leaders for exactly that reason of giving people the core skills to continue to grow as leaders. And so many people stall in their career. The crossover between between military and the level that you're you're working at and the private sector with best practices and businesses is so staggeringly incredible. I, like I just didn't know. I, I even love that you use the fascination advantage by Sally Hogshead. She and I have Hung out together in ice or in uh, Antarctica, and we've we've been in in a couple of mastermind communities together. Her work is brilliant, but the one that you just hit me on um, yesterday, I was asked by a COO 
<laughs> he said, what do you think about quarterly reviews? And I said, I hate them. I hate, I love on the spot reviews. Like if you fuck up, tell them right away and tell them how to improve. And if they do something great, tell them right away. That's amazing. And tell them what you saw. And like coach, it's like co coaching your kids. You don't, you don't wait till the end of the year to give your kids an annual review. You coach them every minute of every day, right? Exactly right. Yeah, because if they, you know, if they screw something up in January and you don't talk to them about it until April, you've missed. They, 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 they've just continued to do the same thing, right? So I'm a, I'm a big fan of, you know, if I've got a one hour review with somebody, I'm going to spend about ten minutes talking about what they've done in the last ninety days, and it should be. Uh, it should be focused on, hey, you started here and, and here's where you're at now, right? But now I'm going to spend the whole rest of my time, the next 50 minutes, talking about where they want to go in the organization and then defining the path to get there. Again, it's that alignment of personal goals with organizational needs. If those two are in sync, you've got an employee that's, you know, you've got an employee that's, that's dedicated to the job because it, they know that the job is dedicated to them. Yeah. I know right now I'm asking you to do this job and it's terrible. I get that. But if you can master this, then we're going to take that and we're going to move that skill set into this. So if you can if you can dig in for the next little bit, I promise you, it's going to pay off. And now we're going to work into that. Now they go, okay, you're not just using me to knock out, you know, whatever mundane task it is, is you're you're refining my skill set so that I can supervise the next person that has to do that. This is great. All right. How about you as a leader? Over the years, I'm sure that you didn't have all the skills you've got today when you were starting out. So what do you think were the most formative or transformative skills that you learned or worked on yourself to, to get to where you are today? You know, I, I tell this story all the time, and it, it was such a it's such a, 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 a minute and lame kind of conversation, but it, it stuck with me uh, for the longest time. It still sticks with me. We were getting ready to, to, to move some equipment to a training area. And I leaned over to one of my guys. Uh, this is when I was in, in special forces. I leaned over to one of my guys and said, hey, man, run over to the warehouse and grab us a pallet uh, so we can do this. And then I went, make sure it's a good one. And he just paused and he looked at me and he goes, what makes you think I wouldn't want a good one? And it clicked on me. Like it was just this this massive light bulb went off in my head over the dumbest conversation about a pallet of, hey, your employees are pretty smart people. And they've got they've got the, the right desire to go in and, and do the, the things the correct way. Trust your employees and back off. I, you know, I, my first role out of the military was, uh, I was a director of training and leadership development. And then I got uh, I moved over and, and became, I stood up a, a leadership development consulting wing for uh, for a, another organization. And I tell people all the time that oftentimes leadership is the fine art of shutting up. Hey, here's the intent. Here's why. Go make it happen, right? Here's end state. Here's why. This is what I need to accomplish. Here's what it needs to look like when you're done. Here's why it's important. Go do it. And get out of their way. And and let people get out of their way. And you know, when I was younger, I was very much a, a hands-on, and I've got to be there. And you know, I'm I'm the boss, so I'm I'm responsible for this. And I was really, I was a bit of a micromanager, right? And learning how to back off from that, and and okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna spend time investing in training my people, so that I don't have to spend all my time managing my people, right? There's that continuity of of, of management, right? 
new person, new task, whole bunch of supervision. Mm -hmm. Veteran uh, employee with a routine task, very little supervision. I don't need to be involved in that. I can spend all my time, you know, working with that new person. Now, veteran employee with a brand new task that neither of you know, now we've got to collaborate and figure out how we're going to do this. And we're going to figure out what my lane is, what your lane is, and where I need to back off and where I need to be involved. And so that becomes that conversation of, of how to do that. And that was probably the biggest thing, you know, when, it, when I'm doing leadership development, I'm training people, it's understand that level of supervision for the individual that you're working on. And it's that level of supervision is based on them, not on you. It's all situational, right? Situational leadership is such a core skill for leaders to learn. All right, let's go back to the 21, 22-year-old Josh Johnson. He's just kind of getting started in his career. What advice would you give yourself back then that you know to be true today? You wish you'd uh, dig into why things are happening. You know, when you're early, it's just what's happening. But when you start understanding why things are happening, you then understand you know, what that process is for. And and this is where I see this as, as the most important, right? Earlier, we were talking about, you know, assimilating into an organization and figuring out where you fit in that, you know, how in that, in that workflow within an organization. So if I'm receiving something from somebody and I don't like it, I'm like, man, this is, I, I, if they only did it this way, it would be so much easier. Well, go and have that conversation and say, hey, why are you handing it to me this way? And it may be that they just don't know. Hey, we can easily do that. Great. If we do it this way and hand it to you, your job's so much easier. Fantastic. Or, hey, we can't do it because of, and now I understand why that doesn't work. Now my focus is entirely different. Hey, this is my problem set. And there's a reason it's my problem set. So if I understand the why behind everything, then I can get, I can start looking for, okay. I know what we're doing. I know why we're doing it. Now I can look for uh, ways to improve that. But if it's just what we're doing, you're, you're never going to find that level of improvement. So if I went back and, and talked to, to a young me, it's really focus in on why things are happening so that you've got that clarity of the process, and then you can, you can look for, for ways to improve. I love it. Josh Johnson, the Director of Programs at the Special Operators Transition Foundation. Thanks very much for sharing with us on the Second in Command podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, Cameron. Really appreciate it. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our other podcast streaming platforms. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.